Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here into these physical and digital spaces here this morning. Give us your Holy Spirit to illumine this, the word of God, to us, that we would be molded by your truth, molded by your grace. And Father, thank you that there is a call upon our lives. Would we know the welcome of Jesus, which is by grace and grace alone, and be pressed forward to serve him in this world? Do not leave us nor forsake us in this time, O Jesus. We pray in your name and for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. So this text, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it's good news for a sad world. And really, this is one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament, in all of the Bible. So much about salvation in Jesus. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the bad news. But then we hear about grace alone, and we receive Jesus by faith alone, not of ourselves, so that no one can boast. Jesus crucified and resurrected. And for me... As I look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I see a passage of hope and joy and light. But what happens when we look around? Not the same thing. Small confession to you here this morning. I failed to follow through on a rule that I instituted for myself years ago. For preaching. For doing church. Years ago, I said, hey, I need to get in the habit of checking the news on Saturday or Sunday morning before coming to church. And usually for me, Saturday is less of a on-my-phone, on-my-computer kind of day. But what would happen over and over again, I wouldn't say all the time, but too many times, some tragedy would happen on a Friday night, Saturday, or Sunday morning, and then I'd get to church not knowing about it and then feel the legitimate question afterwards, Jim, why didn't we mention or talk or debrief a little bit about what happened. Forgot to do that last week, last weekend. We had the shooting in California, right? And then this week, 
Tyree Nichols and everything going on in Memphis? Isn't it the case that we live in a sad and dark world full of evil? The Bible said it would be this way. There is evil in the world, but the Bible goes on to say that evil in the world is real, but it's not random. Because there is, in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 2, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, coordinating a lot of mess, which raises a question. God, don't you care? Where are you? In all of this suffering, in all of this pain, in all of this tragedy, where are you? It's a classic theological and philosophical question. 101, problem of evil. If there is a good and all-powerful God, how come there is all this horrible suffering and mess in the world? And it stretches my faith to this day to continue to have to wrestle with that question. But as I read the scriptures, this is one of the ways which I think God might answer that question on the basis of his revelation. God, don't you care about all this pain, suffering, evil, and tragedy in the world? I think God might come back and say, yes, that's why I sent Jesus. I care that much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, I sent Jesus. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how in Jesus Christ, God the Father has been at work to bring our sad and broken world from a place of being messed up to made whole, and he's doing it by grace. Messed up to made whole. So much is wrong. So much is out of whack. So much doesn't make sense. But in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, a new reign and rule of the one true living God has erupted upon the world and is carrying forward by the power of God's Holy Spirit all the way to a new heavens and new earth when there's going to be no more weeping or crying or pain and death will be no more. And Jesus gives that welcome to us by grace because he paid the penalty in our sin. And if you believe in him, you can receive now the newness, forgiveness, and renovation of the life to come. And that is good news. But what stretches us a little bit, it stretches me, also talked a couple of weeks ago. Okay, God, you're in this process of bringing the world from messed up to made whole. How is that going to happen? What are you going to do? Well, we mentioned that the vehicle of God's restoration and renewal of all things in Jesus Christ is the church, is us. Bozos like you and me, losers, punters, schlemiels, jabronis. He said, you know what? I am going to use you. So that question is actually a two-way street. God, where are you? Don't you care? God answers, in, you, in Jesus Christ, I care a lot, and I have, and am doing something about it. But a question comes back to us. God might well ask us, I'm doing my part. What are you doing about it? He says to the church. If it's the case that the church is the vehicle of God's recreation and restoration of all things in Jesus Christ, what are we going to do about it? We have this passage here from Ephesians chapter 2. It has a very interesting to me interpretive history. 
on the positive side of the ledger, this is, like I said, one of my favorite Bible passages, one of the best and most wide-ranging wide, wide 360 degrees, clarity and precision statement of the salvation that God offers men and women, boys and girls in Jesus Christ. It is awesome. I love it. But especially as I understand and apprehend my own tradition, even though we have all of this awesome stuff about grace and faith in Jesus, it's as if verse 10 doesn't actually exist. So, it's as if the passage ends, say, with verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All well and good. But there is this verse 10. In effect, a big so that. A big mission. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of this grace, all of this salvation in Jesus, and you know what? We are God's workmanship to get going, to get moving. God is seeking fully committed followers of him, fully loving God, fully loving people, that are saying, we're going to do something about it. And among other things, we are going to serve. Christian, you have been created for a purpose. And now, what are we going to do about it? So, two parts for the rest of this sermon. We're created for a purpose, and then we are recreated for a purpose. As we talk about the third part of the mission statement of the Liberty Communion of Churches, we want to live, two weeks ago, speak, last week, serve as the very presence of Jesus, going back to this passage here. And one of the interpretive questions over the centuries, really, that scholars, commentators have asked of verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the interpretive question. Exactly what creation does Paul have in view here? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Is it like the original creation creation? For in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? Or is it the recreation more that Paul has in view in Jesus? And Paul says in other places, if anyone is in Christ, behold, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Which is it? And the answer is kind of yes. It's like if you're looking from a distance at two mountain peaks that line up with one another, based on the angle and the perspective, it kind of looks like a single mountain peak, except that there is a background and a foreground. And so here, the background of being created in Christ Jesus for good works stretches all the way back to the original creation. Our first parents, it goes something like this. Way back in Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We're made in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, if you've been at Liberty Collingswood for a little while, we're doing a multi-year sermon series in Genesis, and we're taking a break from it right now. But you can go back to the fall of 21, winter of 22, when I talked a lot multiple Sundays about what the image of God means. But for the sermon that Vito wrote here, what he accents, and I think it's so great, what does it mean we're created in the image of God? Well, among other things, human beings, 
big or small, able or no, we are of utmost dignity and value. If you are a person, full stop, you are imbued from God with dignity and honor and value that nobody can ever take away from you. We are supremely valuable to God even when we don't treat ourselves with the dignity and with the value that we are made with. Humans, the prized creation of God the Father Almighty. Now, that might not seem controversial to say in a church, but I'll just say very briefly right now, this idea, there are things coming down the pike that in our secular West, it's going to be contested more and more. Have you heard the term speciesism? where there's this growing movement that says it's arrogant, rude, and wrong of human beings to say that they, we, have pride of place in all of creation, and it's wrong of us to privilege ourselves against plants and animals and the created order. We're just one of many, and we are not more valuable than anything else. Now, I don't want to sound like a knee-jerk conservative impulse type of thing going on here, but from the biblical perspective, that's crazy talk. It's just not true. The Bible says that we as human beings, we are the ones of the highest dignity and value. But if that's true, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So if we are the supremely valuable creation of all of God and the rest of creation, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't care for animals in the environment. It means that we should. And I note as well that for many of my secular friends and neighbors, they are operating, at least from my perspective, with a happy inconsistency. Where if it's the case for us as human beings, we're basically just complex collections of dirt from nowhere, going nowhere, evolving out of the muck with no purpose, divine or otherwise, behind it. On that view, then it's good and fitting and right to treat each other like dirt. But we know that we shouldn't across the board. Be that as it may, if human beings are of utmost dignity and value to God, that means for the church that the church must be the place where human dignity and honor and value is celebrated, is cherished, is delighted in, is practiced. That's a calling for us to serve one another as if, and we really do, have all of this dignity created in us. And when Vito wrote the sermon, he talked a good bit about a friend of his. He was a pastor for a long time at Liberty Church Center City, a friend of his named Robert. I will tell you about a friend of mine from the first church that I pastored in West Philadelphia. It rented space on a Sunday morning at 42nd in Baltimore, Spruce Hill Christian School, City Church, City School of Spruce Hill now. Little church in West Philly, there was this guy named James. He was from rural South Carolina. He was an army vet. When he hooked in with our congregation, he was about in his 50s, maybe mid-50s, maybe late 50s. He was incredibly underskilled as a laborer and actually was illiterate. He never learned to read. And then on top of that, he had a long history of addiction issues with drugs and alcohol of different kinds. He started coming. And James had simply been dealt a really, really rough hand. He was continually beaten down. He felt that way. And when he first started hooking in with us, over and over again, James would say in that 
molasses, South Carolina gurgle. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden. Until finally, and hopefully gently, I told James, stop saying that. You're not a burden. Just be a part of our church family. And he was, so got involved, joined the church, became part of the church family. And it's true that there were a lot of things that we did for James to try to help him, to try to serve him, to help him with finances, get out of debt, some financial coaching, some better employment opportunities, more stable living situation, buying furniture for him and all of that. And we did. The church did really well. But I need to be fast to say at the same time that the blessing was 100% mutual, if not more so, where James served us. We were blessed by his presence, and in addition to that, we were blessed by James specifically. I mentioned a minute ago that, that he was an army vet. What he did in the army, he was a cook. So James did a ton of cooking for our congregation. Way back on South Bernard Street years and years ago, Emily and I once a month would host a men's breakfast on a Saturday morning for homeless and semi-homeless friends and neighbors in West Philly. It was James that did all the cooking. And the only time really that I ever got mad or at least a little bit annoyed at James was around the same period, it was a monthly fellowship meal, kind of old school, churchy. Once a month, after church, everybody stays around, you do a potluck dinner. And so, fellowship meal Sunday, I was preaching a sermon which, you know, at least in my recollection, may have been the best sermon that I was ever preaching in my entire life. I, I can't empirically verify that. It was going great. I was about three-quarters of the way through, ready to barrel into the rhapsodic conclusion of the sermon when the fire alarm went off. This was winter, and so we all had to run outside Wait for the fire folks to come on in, make sure nothing was on fire, which we did, shivering outside. And a, fire person, a firefighter came back and said, there was some mac and cheese that was burning in the upstairs kitchen in the office. And that was James. And realistically, it, I wasn't even that mad at him the first time that happened. But a month later, same thing happened again. And I said, James, this is a systemic issue. We've got to do something more and different here. And I can't resist telling one more fast story about James. Some of you have heard me tell this story in other settings. So summer fellowship meal Sunday. In summer, we would not eat at the church, but we would go to Clark Park in West Philly. We had a couple of grills. Bring your own meat, bring your own veggie to grill. James, of course, was the grill master that would do all of that. And this was going to be a special Sunday because James said, I bought a car. And I'm not going to take SEPTA over here. I'm going to drive to the park in my car. And I said, that's great. And he was so proud of it. He had bought the car from a sheriff's sale. It had been impounded. It wasn't much. It was an old beat-up Toyota Corolla. But it was his. Title and tags taken care of, paid for in his name. Insurance, registration, all of that. So we got to Clark Park. James gets the grilling going. Everything's in good shape. And then... When food is taken care of and going well, James says, hey, let's go check out my car. So a group of maybe five, six, seven of us start strolling through Clark Park, and James points out, that's my Corolla parked on the side of the road way over there. And I looked, and I said, James, that, that Corolla is pulling out of the, of the spot. It can't be that Corolla. And he's like, that's my Corolla. And he starts running after it. 
And so the same week, just a couple days after, he bought his first car. It was stolen out of Clark Park for him. And so the following Wednesday at home meeting, you know, any prayer requests? And James said, yeah, I'm really broken up. I had this car, but I lost it. And the car had not been found. But he said the police have, have pieced some things together. And it seemed what happened was the car had been impounded by, by sheriff. So it was a sheriff's sale. And what they think happened was the person that had the car previously, who was never the rightful owner of their car, was walking through Clark Park on a Sunday afternoon, happened to see his old Toyota Corolla, had a spare Corolla key in his pocket, said, what would stop me from seeing if this key still works? And it did, and he drove away. He was brokenhearted. And they said, James will pray for that. We are so sorry. We have been so excited. You know, we're praying every week as he got closer to this car. And he said, thank you. And then there was a long pause. And they said, but James, you, you got to admit that that's pretty funny. <laughs> they said, what do you mean funny? And they said, what are the chances, James? That guy on that day with that key? And he just sat there and he went, And he started laughing and crying. And so our whole home meeting was spending, we had a good laugh and a good cry all at the same time. He did find the car a couple weeks after, and we gave him some money to change the locks so that this is not going to happen again. But that time together in West Philly was a place of flourishing and joy for us. And also with James, we were with him with some of his lower moments as well. Occasionally, he would relapse, go back to the drugs and the alcohol. And when he would do that, more than once, I would be sitting with him, and he would say, he crying, Jim, I'm worthless, I'm worthless, I'm worthless, I'm worthless. And I said, James, that's not true. We love you, and God loves you. You see, because human beings have dignity and value, even when we don't treat ourselves with all of the dignity and value that we deserve. So we would sit with him, reassure him of his dignity and value and honor, and say, you are deeply loved. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do that we should walk in them. God who prepared our little church for the good work of serving James. God had prepared James for the good work of serving our church. God had prepared all of us together for serving one another both within and without the body of Christ. You see, we, if you follow Jesus, we are called to be God's exemplars and representatives of the benevolent and kind and loving and true rule of God on earth. Bible scholar Gordon Wenham said about the passage creation of Adam and Eve, by upholding divine principles of law and justice, rulers promote peace and prosperity for all their subjects. Similarly, mankind is here commissioned to rule nature as benevolent kings, acting as God's representatives over it, and therefore treating it in the same way as the God who created them, to comport ourselves with benevolent love toward all. If you're here this morning skeptical of Christianity or you're just not sure where you are with all of this stuff, I wouldn't blame you if you thought, well, that sounds good on paper, but I sure don't know a lot of Christians that actually do that. 
I'd say fair point. We need to grow. And in a cultural moment like this, let's be the ones that even in the midst of disagreement don't get disengaged, that show up, that serve everybody, no matter what, understanding that pain and suffering and tragedy claw away at human dignity. And it's the call of the church of Jesus Christ to push it back, push it back, push it back, push it back, created for a purpose and also recreated for a purpose, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The Christ Jesus who in his earthly ministry said at another point this, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus went low. And for Jesus, to lead is to serve, and to serve is to lead. For Jesus, to lead is to serve, and to serve is to lead. We in our world is broken, messed up, sad, sinful, and dark, but God hasn't left us. He sent Jesus, pay the penalty for our sin, bring the kingdom of God back, which he shares with grace. And it's the call of the church to renew the dignity, justice, value of all of creation. If you're in Jesus, live with it. You are God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. Get over it. Or even better, cherish it. Be thankful for it. Verse 6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We talked a couple weeks ago, we are a showcase and preview people of the kind Lord Christ, who is good news for all people. And so we serve. We live and we speak and we serve, individually and as a church. But there are challenges, there are blockers, and I'll mention a couple of them. One external challenge, one internal challenge. External, suburbia. Internal, selfishness. Suburbia. When I was in West Philly, by contrast, I didn't have to look far and wide to say, hey, what are some service things or projects or advocacy that we can, we can do in this area? Because it was everywhere. We were constantly bombarded with different needs. It is so much harder, and I've pastored three churches, including one in Texas and here. Both of those were suburban contexts. It is so much harder to do service here. And you might say that by design, and not everybody lives in a suburban context, even in this room or in, online right now, but largely speaking, we're a suburban church. Realistically, the suburbs were actually created to keep all that messiness out, right? If you look at the history of the creation of the suburbs post-war 1950s with white flight and redlining, okay, let's go over here and get away from the bad people, quote-unquote, and separate off. So it is a lot harder to find points of service and connection here, but we press ahead. And then internally, good, old-fashioned, sinful human selfishness. Do I want to show up? Do I want to help? And this is why toddlers are kind of cool. Do you want to go to bed now? No. Do you want to eat your vegetables? No. And that's all there is to it. But our hearts say the same thing. Do you actually want to sacrifice of yourself to help, help other people? No. 
And there are so many idols of self that block us from being true servants of Christ. Comfort idols, security idols, safety idols, fear idols, on down the line. But we press ahead. We press through. And I might think of it this way. Find your niche. Nobody in this room can do everything. But maybe there is one mercy, justice, service thing that whether you individually or in the context of a family, that you can own a little bit more and say, we're going to do this. Not all things, but this thing. Maybe that's adopting kids, fostering kids, supporting adoptive foster families, single moms. Maybe it's something with food where you're cooking a lot of meals for other people. You're volunteering at a soup kitchen. You're donating food to a food pantry. Maybe you're a business owner or a manager, and you go out of your way to go above and beyond to be just and equitable in your practices. Maybe whether you are filthy rich or not, you're just super generous, and you give way more than might even be wise. But you say, this is going to be my thing. This is what I'm going to do. My ongoing prayer for Liberty Collingswood is that we would be a place that places upon you polite pressure to serve, where there would be a nice and friendly and polite pressure that if you're in our midst, you're going to be goaded into serving a little bit more, putting out the opportunities. Hey, we need you. It's kind of like this. Say, with a group of friends, you go to a pub or to a cafe. It's the afternoon. Server comes in, seats you at the table, and you say, oh, we're just here for coffee or we're just here for drinks. But then the server comes back and said, would you like to see a food, food menu? And you're like, no, we're just here for coffee and drinks. But this polite yet persistent server keeps offering you the food menu. And then eventually you're like, fine, let me look at your salads. And then fast forward 45 minutes and you're polishing off your chicken wings and tots. It's just the way of things. We want to be that polite but persistent church. Do you want to serve? Do you want to serve? Do you want to serve? To get some momentum in that direction. And internally, we had a great volunteer Sunday in November. There are always more things, more serve teams that you can be a part of here now. Maybe you're somebody that's in a home meeting, and one of your things is that you're just really great at following up with other people. Hey, there's a prayer request or some, some, some needs that mentioned one week. You text that person, or you call that person a couple of days later. You don't forget about it, but you bring it up. You ask to help more. Maybe that. Maybe you're somebody that connects with people, and you include others at church that are not like you. My previous church, years and years ago, it was a church with a lot of young families, and there was one older family— so if there were a lot of toddlers in elementary school, this family had high school to, to college age. I thought they were really liking it. I thought they were really digging it. But after a couple of months, they left and said, and we had a debrief conversation. They were like, well, the thing is, like, all those young families, and there weren't people at our age and stage and that were like us, and we tried a couple of times to, like, go out to lunch after church with some of these younger families, but the high chairs and the... Uh, kids coloring packs. We're just done with that phase. It, it really kind of stressed us out. So we're going to look for a church more like us. And as I've thought about that over the years, that for Christians to seek to find a Christian church, where one of the primary goals for that church search is to find a place with people exactly like you, that is actually an anti-Christian impulse. 
That is an anti-Christian impulse, not a Christian one. And externally, we're building. One of my highlights personally of the ministry year so far is that we had close to 30 people volunteer at Urban Promise for MLK Day. Now, does showing up one day a year at Urban Promise mean that we've solved the, pro- the poverty problem and, oh, we got that over with in January, so we have 12 months just to be for ourselves right now? Basically, n- no, not at all, but it's more than nothing. And I'll tell you, some of the, during some of the dark days of pandemic, in my cynical phases, I would think, I don't think we will ever be able to marshal a group of people to show up for a service event again because we're just not interested in that anymore as a culture. A couple Sundays from now, should have had the date written down. We're rebuilding our local partnerships team. If you'd want to come to that meeting, it's before church. I think it's two Sundays from now, maybe three. It's February 19th. It just came to me. So 9.15, 9.30ish, if you want to be part of that local partnerships team, let me know. We'd love to sign you up. Talk to a deacon. They're listed out on our website. We're looking as a deacon board right now. How do we become more proactive not just serving needs that come to us, but how do we lead more? There is so much left to do. But understand that if, on the other hand, when we turn from suffering, we are turning from our own humanity. When we turn from suffering and pain, we are turning from our own suffering and humanity. Jesus always went towards that which was messy. Will we do the same? At the end of the sermon, Vito shared this prayer that he says he prays every day. It's a good one. Vito says, every day I pray. Oh, this is the prayer. Oh God, to those who have hunger, give bread. And to us who have bread, give the hunger for justice. Would we so pray and do? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.